You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Sing to the Lord. Sing praises to the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Good morning, Resurrection. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John Tucker, and I am the director of liturgy here at South Resurrection South Austin. And this is the second week of our new sermon series, Christ in Us, where we are experiencing together how having the Spirit of God within us changes our lives. It redefines who we are as a people. It reshapes the world around us. And it returns us to our inheritance in God's eternal glory. And this week, we're going to wrestle together over what the resurrection has done to our status and standing as the people of God. I want to open this morning with a question. Has anyone in this room ever seen someone raised from the dead? And I'm not talking in the movies here. Has anyone had a Lazarus experience, seen someone pop up out of the grave? No? Okay. I want to come back to that question again later. As many of you know, I lived in Africa for a number of years, working for a mission organization that ministered to orphaned and vulnerable children there. And during my time, I got to meet and minister to a bunch of wonderful kids and families and individuals. And this morning, I want to tell the story of a girl who is near and dear to my heart, which I think is going to be helpful for us as we try and unpack what Paul is talking about in Romans 6. Betty was an eight- or nine-year-old orphan girl living in one of Lusaka's many slum compounds. She lost her mother and her siblings and suffered abuse at the hands of her father. She was also what is known as a serial orphan, because she was passed from home to home, mostly between family members or neighbors, until they would realize they couldn't take care of her and she would get passed on again. And she became a wanderer, and her pain, her suffering, her lack of future and hope became part of her reality, something from which she couldn't escape. In many ways, it began to define her. And Paul and his Jewish or Gentile audience, I think, would have resonated a bit with Betty. To be a Jew or even a Christian, in many ways, is to be a wanderer, a serial orphan, a people with no home. Do you remember the history of God's people? Entrapped by sin and cast out from the garden dismissed from the presence of God. They were enslaved in Egypt, exiled to Babylon, suffered under Roman oppression and rule. Like Betty, Israel's history, and thus our past, has become our reality, something from which we cannot escape. We have been caught in the snare of sin and death. We know this story, right? We understand its reality. We are a people created in the image of God, the first fruit of his creation, a people who got to experience his eternal presence and goodness, and we lost it. 
We now bear the sinfulness of Adam. We are cursed by that sin. And forever we have been linked to that reality. But church, we like the Lord's people of promise have hope. The Messiah. So let's look at the passage in Romans again. And I want to use Eugene Peterson's message translation here. And he says this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we've packed up and moved out for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Christ. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer are we at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, then we must also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. And when he was raised, he brought God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language, and it no longer means anything to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on its every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Church, I'm going to be honest. When I saw I'd been assigned to preach Romans 6, I trembled a bit, thought justification, sanctification, thanks for the softball sermon, Sean. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I look at this passage in other letters of Paul And I think, that resurrection life sounds really great, but I'm terrible at it. And I think if we were all honest, we would agree with that wrestling. And last week, Father Perry preached on how we were justified by faith. It's Paul's central message in Romans 1 through 5. And I think because of that message, it's easy for us to read Romans 6 and think, now that we've been justified... Paul has given us the playbook for holy life. And hear me clearly, church, I'm not dismissing personal sanctification, nor am I saying we shouldn't ascribe to live in such a way. We should always be pressing to be a more holy people. But one of the things I love about our Anglo-Catholic tradition is we get to learn and study under the interpretation of thousands of years of Scripture. And many church fathers underscore 
the reality of Paul's intense language in Romans 6. There's a lot of loaded words in this chapter. Bondage, slavery, death, baptism, resurrection. They're intentional. Paul here is describing for us a permanent status change. The game changer. He's describing for us the ultimate exodus of God's people. He's pointing us back to our history in exile. Our reality of both wandering in the physical desert and the desert of sin. And reminding us that we are a people who have been slaved both in Egypt but are now enslaved to death. And yet, he's pointing us to the promise made to Abraham that we would be a chosen people more numerous than the stars, that we would inherit a promised land flowing with milk and honey, reminding us that he passed over our houses and brought us to freedom through the Red Sea when death was knocking at our door. Do you see what Paul is doing? The underlying theme here is our secure future, and it's guaranteed by the unshakable love of God. Resurrection and baptism changes everything. It redefines and forever corrects our status and standing with God. And before we can even begin to understand how the resurrection changes how we should live, which is what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks, we need to first understand one important truth, a truth that is the hinge point between our justified faith and what it means to live a holy life. And here it is. The people of the Messiah are now a liberated people, and we're on our way to our promised land. Amen? Amen. Friends, there's a new reality at work here. A little later in Jeremiah, after we read this morning in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which we shall call him. Yahweh is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought the people out of Egypt. Instead, they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north, south, east, and west, and all of the countries where he had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Paul is explaining the resolution of Jeremiah 23 here in Romans 6, the ultimate exodus of God's people. And it's on a far grander scale than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. It comes through the hands of the Messiah. Kids, do we have any kids in the room? Do you remember what we did a few weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday? The room was filled in red, and we had a tub of water right there in the middle of the room. What did we do? We had baptisms. Have you ever wondered, why baptism? It's just symbolic, right? Or why do we baptize infants or kids? Or even why do you roll that huge tub out in the middle of the floor 
when you could just sprinkle some water on top of a head and call it a day. For Paul, baptism isn't just some symbolic gesture. Baptism is for us the new Red Sea. It is also our link to Christ's time in the grave and his rising to new life. Under the water, we see and experience the reality of death. And upon taking that first breath of air above the water, we understand what it means to be born again. And something in that moment physically and spiritually changes within us. Or again, as Eugene Peterson says, at that moment, each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. When we watched Hazel and Ephraim three weeks ago, we got to simultaneously experience that plunge with them, reminding us that we too were once dead, and we celebrated with them as they rose to air. To be immersed is to take on something's qualities. To be baptized is to rise with the qualities of Christ. Kids, maybe even some adults, I think our favorite time of baptism services might be when Father Sean or Perry take that golden aspergillium and start sprinkling the room, asking us to remember our baptism. Or have you noticed our baptismal font at the front of the room? We dip our fingers in the font on the way in and out of services. We do all these things to remember. We remember that we were enslaved to death. And we remember that it no longer defines us because we've been brought into newness of life. Like us, Betty, her standing was forever changed. I met Betty on a Tuesday at a camp program. She showed up at camp in what we would describe as the walking dead. She was hopeless. She had suffered abuse, neglect. She was covered from head to toe in scabies. And she spent the majority of her camp week in the clinic. But on that Tuesday, she heard the gospel and accepted Christ as her savior. And on Thursday of that same week, Betty went home, and something clicked for her. She looked around and realized that she was no longer defined by the fact she was an orphan. She was no longer entrapped by death. Abuse and pain had no hold on her. She understood her status had been forever changed, because she was now the daughter of a king. And so Betty took a leap of faith, and she ran from her home a little over six miles towards the place where we had camp. And it was about 300 yards outside of the gates of our campsite where my roommate and I found her. And through some tears and translation, we roughly pieced together who she was, and I recognized her as the girl who had been in the clinic. And she was immediately granted access into the organization's full-time care by Zambian Social Services. And my roommate and I had the privilege of getting to drive Betty to her new home that night. She was not the girl we'd met earlier in the week. 
The girl I met on Tuesday was wandering, dirty, broken, sick, hopeless. She was as good as dead. The girl that was now laughing and dancing in my back seat, singing, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That girl understood what resurrection means. It means everything has changed forever. She was now alive, free. So I want to ask the question again. Have you ever seen someone raised from the dead? I have many times. So have you, in fact. Many of you have experienced it yourselves. Never, ever, ever forget. You have passed from death to life. Church, today, first and foremost, if you're in a place where you need resurrection and haven't given your life over to Jesus, please see myself or a priest after service. If you want to be baptized and experience the passing from death to life, please see us as well. Or maybe you're in a place where you're feeling the weight of sin or the hopelessness of our broken world. I charge you to remember your baptism. Remember, you've been set free and are no longer defined by anything other than the new life of the resurrection. As we come to the table, and just shortly, and remember and celebrate Christ's death and resurrection, and later as we go out into the world to be instruments of his life-giving power, this is my prayer for you. Now with baptism in mind, Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time into God's way of doing things. For remember, you've been raised from the dead. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.